This is the Property Solopreneur Podcast, and I'm Rachel Troughton. I'll be talking about everything you need to create wealth by building your portfolio in a sustainable and profitable way. I'll be sharing the realities of a property investing business. I'll talk bricks and mortar, buy to let, HMOs, flipping and planning game, as that's what we all enjoy doing. But I'll also share how to use good systems, processes, and find the right professionals to work with. In fact, everything that will enable you to become a successful property solopreneur. Thank you very much for joining me this morning, Sarah. Now, for those of you who've not ever met you in person, because I know you get out and about quite a lot, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? I certainly can. First of all, thank you for having me, Rachel. I really appreciate the invitation. For those who don't know me, my name is Sarah Poynton Ryan. I am a property investor, mentor, speaker, and all-round business nerd, I guess. Quick whistle stop. I've been in property for about six and a half years now. I started in property because I was in a world of debt, about £60,000 of like credit card debt and other bits and pieces that just weren't particularly healthy for me in my life at the point. I got married in 2015 and we were away after we got married and we were talking about the next chapter of our life, what were we going to do? And everything just kept back coming back to we didn't have enough money to do any of it. And we both worked hard. And we both wanted a lovely life together and it just kept back coming back to we've got no money, we've got no money. And so I made the decision that I was going to try something different. And I'd been on a webinar, I'd heard people's men, mostly men saying, we make loads of money from property that we've not got any money. We use other people's money. We do it this way. And I was like, if these people can do this, then I can totally do this. And so I just got brave. I started my property business in 2015 and the rest is history. It's been a crazy six and a bit years. I've had the best time. I have a really lovely life now and cleared my debt through property. I've worked my own personal wealth through property and we're now kind of creating our future also through property. So yeah, it's, um, that's me. That's who I am. That's really interesting in that you quite clearly started doing something. You started, did you start with rent to rent or did you go straight into sourcing? I actually started, my first ever deal was a rent to rent deal that I kept myself in my own portfolio. And then I learned about eight weeks after that, I learned that people would also pay me a fee for portfolio building for them. And so I did the kind of two strategies together in 2016. I had built a rent to rent portfolio that I kept, but at the same time, I also sourced for other people as well. So I did them together. Absolutely. And so you know, that's something that uh, a lot of people don't realise is that you can start in one way in property and then morph into something completely different as your skills develop and as you get more money. Uh-huh, absolutely. And actually, as you get better and better, you have lots and lots and lots of things going on simultaneously. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there could that. be anything more fun, really, than that, could there? The beautiful thing about property is I get bored really easily. I'm somebody that does, like, if I did the same thing all day, every day, all day, every day, forever, I would be bored out of my mind. So actually, the thing about property is every deal is slightly different. Every investment is slightly different. Every partner you work with is slightly different. And it actually gives you this really lovely evolution of your business naturally because you learn something new, you make mistakes, you don't make those again. And yeah, my my business has totally evolved. I don't really do rent to rent anymore because it served its purpose for me at the Absolutely, beginning, which was yes. cash flow and clearing my debt and those sorts of things. So I don't really do it now. We've closed my rent to rent company. It doesn't actually exist anymore. I still do get rent to rent deals come across my table. And if I can sell them for a fee, then I do just because it's simple. But actually now it's more about assets and creation and development because that's what I've evolved into. And also that is the only way to get long-term 
stability, really, because if you've got a rent to rent, it's great, as you say, to start off with. Mm -hmm. You've always got that third person in the marriage, haven't you? The person who actually owns the asset. Yeah, that's it. I mean, rent to rent, you can make a lot of money very, very quickly. And obviously you have to do it right and you have to do it ethically. And there's loads of ways to do it really terribly. Um, (laughs) But if you you do it right and you do your numbers right and your due diligence right and all those sorts of things, you can make a lot of money very, very quickly with rent to rent. And it does serve its purpose. Now, for some people, they want to build a rent to rent business and sell the business and that creates their wealth and that's fine, but it's very, very rare. And so what we tend to see happens is that people do rent to rent and deal sourcing and packaging at the early stages while they're earning their stripes, learning how to identify a good deal from a bad deal, learning how to talk to investors, learning how to negotiate, learning how to market, learning how to run a business. Once they've done those things, then they're like, huh, okay, well, for the same level of work, if not less work, I can buy a buy to let and I could do a flip. And then naturally people tend to evolve into other things. Well, most of the people I work with, that's generally the journey that I see happening. I think that's absolutely true because yes, on the one hand, you've got this this promise of rent to rent, but actually it is more work. Because it's so much more work. <laughs> so <laughs> much more work. And you know, that's why I've never done it, because I always say I'm possibly one of the laziest people in property. I like it very <laughs> easy and very straightforward. And buying assets is always the way. And you know, one of the things that struck me, because you very early on in, in your work came and spoke as a guest when I was co-hosting the Bucks Property Meet. Um, and you were very new and shiny in those days. I was. Which was absolutely fantastic because I really think that the enthusiasm you get from newcomers from the stage is fantastic. It's very catching. Um, mm-hmm. But building a business is actually incredibly hard work. Uh-huh. Did you have to just be everywhere in those first few years? Because I, I mentor a lot of people who, who just want to build things but don't want to be seen. You know? mm-hmm. So... I think it's, it's interesting and there's this, um, I actually think you can be successful in two ways. You can be successful by being seen and having a voice and being visible, but you can also be quite understatedly, is understatedly a word? I don't know. Under yes, the radar <laughs> success, uh, under the radar successful as well, because there's a lot of people that don't want to stand on stages. There's a lot of people that don't want to do podcasts. There's a lot of people that don't want to be out there talking, but can still be exceptionally good at what they do. And actually being successful in property and identifying good deals, being able to do due diligence, being able to raise money and those sorts of things doesn't always have to come from standing on a stage, public speaking. It doesn't. It can do, but there's lots of other ways you can market and build profile. And there's lots of different tools online, free and paid for, that can help you to develop that. I think my advice to anyone is to really go with your strengths. I am... I'm happy standing on a stage. I'm, I'm, it's, I'm at one of my happiest places when I'm standing on a stage in front of 2,000 people talking. Like, I really love it. I get a buzz from it. I, I love doing it. But I'm not great one-to-one. Like, going into a meeting one-to-one with someone I don't know or a networking event where there's, like, 10 people in the room, I actually get really nervous in that space. And it's funny because... I just know that I can now talk to my strengths, go to my strengths, and that is to build audience, build community, drive my profile that way. But there's like some people would be the exact opposite of that, and they'd be much better in a small room and actually meeting people, building relationships that way. And I think having a voice or not having a voice, you have to work with your strengths. If your strengths are to be very visible and be very vocal, then go in that place. If that terrifies you and you hate it and it brings on this paralysis, which means you don't do anything, then find another way because there's lots of different ways. Absolutely. And, and that's one of the things that we were talking about before we started recording is that I very much want to encourage more women to realise that actually mm-hmm. property in any shape or form is going to be really, really good for them long term because it gives them their own financial 
as absolutely. But so many women actually give up because when you go to networking meetings, you get a very large predominance of loud male voices. And Mm -hmm. girls just look at all of this and just go, oh, I can't be bothered to fight this. I'm going to go and do something else. And so we don't see them, but they're there. And as you say, very successfully, often (laughs) much more successfully than the noisy. Often much more successfully, yeah. (laughs) The noisy empty vessel, as the Bible says. (laughs) Yeah, exactly that. (laughs) So that's that's you've had a message. And one of the things I seem to remember, and I know it's on your website, is that you want to build safe, warm, comfortable homes. Mm-hmm. That's your vision, yeah. isn't it? I believe in a world where everybody wakes up in a safe, warm, comfortable bed. And I think that's possible if everybody pulled together to try to create that. And, you know, us as property entrepreneurs, as developers, as builders, all of the things that we do in our space, if we all had in mind the just benchmark of safe warm and comfortable for all people then we would be able to make a massive impact so even when we were in our rent to rent business we won awards in our town for the work that we did around housing homeless people because in fact what my awards are up on the wall behind here but everything we did was about okay how do we solve a problem rather than how do we make as much money as we possibly can and for me I don't know whether that's because I'm a woman I don't know whether that's because I just that's just who I am I don't know whether it's because of stuff that's happened to me in my life I don't know but what I do know is that when I approach business from a place of trying to solve a problem for a group of people or another person and not approach business from a place of trying to line my own pockets, what I found is that I get paid really well as a consequence of doing that good job. My first business failed because all I did was obsess about money and how much money I could make and how much profit I was making and how many clients I could win. Because I didn't know money and I didn't understand money or business back then. I was young and I was trying to figure it out. I also didn't know how to ask for help back then. I didn't understand that you could ask for help and that was quite normal. In my second business, I thought, you know what, I'm just going to go out and do the best job I can. I'm going to put the best rooms in the market that I can at comparative prices to what my competitors are doing. I'm going to put the best deals together that I possibly can for my investors. And I'm going to charge reasonable money, not crazy greedy money. And I'm going to build my business based on service. And I believe because I did that, it made a massive difference to the way I approached my company. I think it made a massive difference to the way that other people saw me in the market. And I think it's made a massive difference to the speed at which I've grown because I've attracted other people that work and think in the same way. And I, I think haven't that- attracted... I haven't attracted the, uh, am I allowed to swear on here? (laughs) No, I haven't attracted the people that I don't want to work with. Let's just put it like that. Absolutely. And I think that absolutely is right. And one of the things that really annoys me is this terrible focus always on, it's got to be number crunch to the nth degree. And if it's not going to get you the maximum amount, then don't do it. Mm-hmm. And I've seen people who've been on stage describing what they've done and people in the audience have gone, but you could have done this and you should have done that and you should have done the other. And they went, well, no, I didn't want to. And the audience has walked away going, well, they don't know what they're doing because they didn't maximize their profit. Well, actually, yes, they did. Because the long-term, as you say, the long-term business is much better if you do exactly what you need mm-hmm. to do per deal, which may not so we, be 100%, but it's better long-term. We talk a lot in our business with my team, with my clients, with mentees and things like that. We talk about being loyal to the objective, but flexible on the journey. And yeah. when you know your objective, so for me right now, my objective is to basically future-proof my life to get myself in a financial position where actually I've got the choice if I ever work again or not. And I have enough money to live on right now, but not to the lifestyle that I want forever. So I'm still striving to achieve that position. Now that's the objective. 
how I get there will evolve over time. I may buy and sell businesses. I might invest in different asset classes. Property is a big part of what I do, but it's not the only thing that I do. So I think it's about understanding what it is you want from it. And if you are happy with your deal and you've made enough money for you, don't be put off by other people's opinions of, oh, well, that's not, not a good enough deal because it doesn't make enough money for them because their objectives and your objectives are totally different things because your lives are different things. That comparisonitis is a risky business. It is. And also, when you first come into property, you're still in the in the sort of scarcity mindset and numbers are frightening. And the longer you stay around, the more comfortable you get with noughts, frankly. Yeah. <laughs> we, I say this a lot. I feel like I've become immune to numbers. Like I forget yes. that... that millions of pounds I signed a loan agreement about three weeks ago for 2.4 million pounds and I just signed it and my I sent it to my best friend I sent her a picture I was like oh my god like omg in the text and she was like I feel sick for you I was like no it's great it's really good because this is what it's gonna be and blah blah blah. she was like I can't understand how you've gone from like here to there in such a short space of time and I think that immunity to what the zeros mean is a big part of it I've just had to understand that if the due diligence is right and the deal is right the actual numbers don't really matter everything else is the bit that matters and sometimes a very small deal a little tiny flip that just and I'm going to say mm-hmm. just here gets you 40 to 50 grand mm-hmm. is well worth doing yeah absolutely that because you can do lots and lots and lots of those and they're simple and easy and fun and there's nothing wrong with that but there are many people who just and and again it's quite often men who are very and I, I say that quite carefully because I've not seen a woman do it yet who will just go on reading the headlines and then it all goes horribly wrong and everybody mm-hmm. loses their money and it's quite a disaster um, yep. and actually if they just stayed slightly slower and with smaller numbers making mm-hmm. actually just as good a profit it would have gone on for far longer and that I think is a problem in property we get too used to saying oh well I, I haven't made 100 grand whatever per deal I also think there's a big misrepresentation in our industry with the word made I made 100 grand I made 30 grand there's a difference between billing or invoicing 30 grand and keeping 30 grand and 100 grand. And actually what I tend to see on the big stages, on the big web name webinars and things like that is they'll say, I made 100 grand. Actually, you didn't make 100 grand because by the time you paid back your investors and you paid your bridging fees and you'd paid back your tax and all that sort of stuff, you actually made 20 grand. So for me, I tend to lead with the 20 grand rather than the 100 grand because it's real and I keep it. It's not as sexy. 20 no. grand is never going to be as sexy as 100, but it's real and tangible and I can see it and it's in my bank and I can spend it on whatever I want to spend it on. So my advice to people in terms of what you're listening to on stages, in rooms, at networking, is actually go a layer deeper and ask them whether they kept that money. Is that actual net profit after tax? Is that Or is that the top line figure? And then there was loads of, and I think there's, a, there's not enough of that questioning in our industry. Is it, did you actually make it or did you just bill it? And then was there lots of deductions and then you kept a little tiny bit? There's a big misunderstanding between the difference between gross and net profits in our space, I think. Yes. And I think that's partly because many people don't come into property having done business From before. business. Absolutely. So they, they get sold on the whole, you know, almost 
does it look lovely? Is it pretty? And everyone who knows me knows the phrase that winds me up the most is, I'm so passionate about property. No, you're passionate about the profit you get out of property, <laughs> yeah. which is a completely different thing. They are very different things. <laughs> Are Absolutely. you passionate about bricks? No, I'm not passionate about bricks. I can't no. confirm. <laughs> no, it's the money. I, you know, to be quite blunt, at the end of the day, it's how you earn your money. Lifestyle, yeah, of course. And, yeah, that, and that means that you can you can move things around. And I won't get worried. All my, I, I was thinking about this the other day. I don't think I've got a pretty building apart from the one I actually live in. All my investment properties are seriously ugly, but they do deliver. So that's fine. You know, no worries. Absolutely. What it looks like doesn't matter as long as it does the job, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. And so one of the, talking that through, something pops into my mind. You know, one of the things that people who are new to the industry always worry about, and that is what comes first, the deals or the investors? Great question. What a (laughs) conundrum that is. It is, isn't it? But it (laughs) is one that I don't think anyone doesn't ask. Because it's, right at the beginning, you go, where do I put my time? What do you do? Mm-hmm. And what did you do? Okay, so for me, what I do now and what I did at the beginning are actually slightly different things. So I'll answer what I did at the beginning, and then I'll tell you what I did now and why, why I kind of shifted it. So at the beginning, I went out and just got deals. That was where I started. Because I focused primarily on rent to rents and options to begin with, and then in the first sort of six months, I moved into like baseline flips. You, you kind of... Stoke on Trent, buy it for 30, do it up, sell it for 50, 60, that sort of stuff. I And rent to rents that would give between 500,000 pound net profit. That was my sort of first six months. That's where I focused. So my job, in order for you to sell a deal or to get someone to invest in a deal, you need to know how to identify a deal first. So at the beginning, I was also, my money mindset and my relationship with debt and my relationship with money wasn't good because I was in so much debt. And so I went out and got the deals first and then I would get the deal and I'd get the yes from the agent. I'd have my offer accepted. And then I would just like really hustle to find somebody to buy it off me. Now it worked for me. I don't have kids. I don't have many distractions. If I want to put not a hundred hours a week into my business, I can. And I could then. I don't now, but I could then. And so for me, that worked. And I'm also very motivated when I've got a deadline, when it's like there's the chase. that, That does drive me. That energy does drive me. So that worked for me. But now... I actually work them together at the same time. So I'm always building my pipeline of investors and I'm always building my pipeline of property because it's very rare that you get the two that come along at exactly the same time, (laughs) exactly the same match. (laughs) Like I've still yet to find that a thing. So I'm always raising money and I'm always finding property deals and I'm always looking because actually you have to have both, whether you're deal sourcing and packaging on your deals to another investor for a fee, or whether you're planning to source your deals to keep for yourself. Either way, if you are not the only funder in your deals, then you need to have these two pipelines running at all times. Yes. And it's building relationships and nurturing. And, you know, I learned from you and Susanna, actually, you were two of the people that kind of taught me this concept, is that borrowing money from an investor before you've got a deal Yes, it costs you money. So maybe you've got it sat in your bank for three months and it's costing you X percent a month for that three months. I remember you saying to me, Rachel, that's an operational cost of your business. Yes, it's a absolutely. cost of business. <laughs> and But you're in a position where you've got the 100 grand in your bank that you can walk in and pay cash for something tomorrow. And I it, honestly, that light bulb between you and Susanna, you taught me a lot around this whole money. And again, you guys have helped me a lot. Well, thank you. <laughs> the second I realized that raising money for investor wasn't asking for a handout, 
it was offering to make them more money. Susanna taught me that. We went for dinner one night and she drilled this into my head. Yes, I, rem- yes. I remember her saying to me, why do you rent to rent when you could totally raise money? I was like, I'm terrified of raising money. And she said, because you're terrified of raising money is exactly why you should be raising money because you'll respect it and you'll look after your investors and you'll treat it with the respect it deserves. You're not going to steal from them. And I was like, yeah, that's true. She said, so you're a great person to raise money. And that kind of settled any anxiety I had about it. And from that point on, I was like, you know what? I'm going to raise money and I'm going to do deals at the same time. And I now have pipeline of both of these things running at all times because I think it's really hard to do it unless you've got both. I think so. I noticed, for instance, that you do very regular investor discovery days. I do. I do, yeah. And that's a two-way thing, isn't it? You want to see Uh whether or not you can work with them because not everyone who approaches all of us, you want to work with. They may be unable to cope with the concept of money, like you were saying. And likewise, they may not like you because actually it's all about people, isn't it? Absolutely, 100%. It's not just about how much money you can make them. It's whether they trust you and like you. Mm -hmm. And I think as well, one of the biggest mistakes that I see happening in our space and learn hard lessons from it is that we jump into beds in business with people we don't know yes because we put the money on a pedestal and we're like well they're more important than we are because actually they've got the money and we haven't so we'll let them just call all the shots and actually one if you've got the deal and they've got the money they can't do the deal without you because you've got the deal so you're equally as important in that process so don't devalue yourself by putting the money on a pedestal but also the reason we do investor days regularly and we do them sometimes we before covid we did them like monthly at the moment we're doing them quarterly and that's kind of working for us at the minute with everything else we've got going on it's to get in a room shake their hand look in the whites of their eyes and see whether or not we would actually be okay if the deal was in crisis and whilst we don't expect our deals to ever be in crisis we have to ask the hard questions what if this doesn't go to plan yeah what if i drop down dead in the middle of the deal what do you want to see happen what if this happens what if that happens and actually, when you ask those hard questions to people that have totally different values to you, you can see really quickly that you shouldn't go into business with those people or borrow their money. Because actually being beholden to somebody financially that's got completely different values to you is an absolute nightmare. So instead of rushing into that, take your time, ask good questions, go for a coffee with them, have dinner with them, meet their husband, like go walk the, walk your dogs together, whatever. The more, absolutely, the more you know about them, the yeah. better. And you'll understand because I think it does sound very woo-woo, this, this whole concept, you know, we want to be a bit friendly. But when you have been in business with someone who proves to be a nightmare, you realise that it can just devastate you. It's almost like putting a weight on your head. You can't think clearly. You can't do what you need to do. You can't actually fight your out, your way out of a corner. Yeah, because and it, it's destroying. It's like soul destroying. It, you, I've been in business with people who have stolen from me, who have um, talked about me behind my back, and so, like told people that things that are not true to get oh, yes. their, to manipulate situations. Like for some reason, money does funny things to people. So it's really important that you just understand the values at the beginning. And it does sound a bit woo, but actually it's not. It's foundational basics. Yeah. Ask the hard questions. What if this happens? What if that happens? What if the market drops by 50% and we can't pull your money out? What do we do then? Like, what is the plan B? Absolutely. Because of course, that's a very good point. Because of course, I worked all the way through the credit crunch. So 
I always assume at some point the nightmare will happen again. Uh-huh, absolutely. And I mean, it will <laughs> at some point. Yes. But for those who've never been through it, they have no idea what it's like to go to bed and get up in the morning and find you've lost a third of your your wealth. Absolutely. Your wealth, yeah, overnight. <laughs> overnight. A stroke of a pen. Um, yep. you know, and of course, it's all paper because at that point you haven't crystallised the loss. But it is a problem if you've got to remortgage and you've got to refinance and, and do all the other things. So, you know, it's not a silly thing to do. It's it's not grandstanding and trying to show how clever you are and what you know. It's basic common sense. We Absolutely. don't know what will happen tomorrow. This is We are talking big numbers. Let's just find out how you cope with big numbers. You know, yep. do I? And the other thing, of course, I think that people do far, far too quickly is form companies with other people. Oh, my God. That it, most people don't realise that when you form a company with somebody, you're financially linked to them for 10 years. So yes. people are form, forming companies and then falling out 10 minutes later and having to like live with the connection of that for a decade. Just ask better questions before you jump into those and get good legal advice like, get shareholders agreements, have things in place that are substantial to make sure that you're protected because it's very, honestly, I think it it can go really well. And I don't want to like terrify everybody listening to this. I think this is just a word of common sense, really. I've got business partnerships that are absolutely incredible, like incredible. There is trust, there is respect, there is mutual work ethic, there is, they are brilliant. We have fun, it's just great. So being tied up with another person in a limited company may be great for today, but it won't be so much tomorrow. If, for instance, they have something happen in a future business, you could find yourself actually pulled completely down by things completely outside your control. But I think both of us have had that, haven't we? Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it just goes on forever, doesn't it? It might happen again. Who knows? But yes. I think it's about trying to make sure you protect yourself as much as you possibly can by asking the hard questions at the beginning. You know, we've got a deal at the moment we're going into, and it, I mean, it's a high stakes deal. It's a great deal, but it's the biggest deal I've ever done. And we've got it to a point where we've got eight different exits on it so that if any of the things that could go wrong, go wrong, we've got a plan for that. And we've gone through those exits with our investors. We've talked to the lenders about those potential exits. As a business, we've all agreed who's responsible for what and what part of it. And those hard questions at the beginning, whilst might feel confrontational, might feel like you're grandstanding, actually, I can assure you that if you ask those questions, you won't need them. You won't need the solution because you've already got it out on the table. Whereas if you have no contract, you have no shareholders agreement, you have no conversations, what will actually happen is you'll something will go wrong and you'll be like, we don't know what to do now because we haven't prepared for this. Go and create your business partnerships. Do it because it's amazing being in business with people. Being in business on your own is quite lonely sometimes. Yes, it is. Yes. But, but don't tie just, everything up. Exactly that. You know, try and have 51% instead of 49%. I know not everyone can have that because it has to be a partnership, but... <laughs> Have have a controlling interest if you can. Yes. You know, make sure that you get good legal advice. Make sure you speak to your accountants about how structuring this company impacts your other incomes and other portfolios and other things you're doing because it matters. Long term, it will matter. And, and the other thing, of course, is that there, there is this perception, particularly when people are new, that how you form a business and, and what it's called and everything else is the mm-hmm. be all and end all. And mm-hmm. I, I do remember... Um, people questioning me and I know you and other people are saying, well, I don't think you're a real business because we haven't found you on this site or that site or company's house and and you've got a different name and all the rest of it. And you just go, 
yeah, that's how I've set up my business because I work with my accountant yep. <laughs> rather than for somebody who doesn't understand business and hasn't realized that you don't always, you're not always as visible perhaps as mm-hmm. people would like you to be. Yeah. You mentioned due diligence an awful lot because I know you've yep. been very involved in it. I think it's one of the most important things that people have got to learn if they're going to do property. What key thing in due diligence do you think stands out above everything else? What key thing? Patience, I think. So I, I'll i just use an example of, a, of somebody I know who was speaking to a sourcer and they were being pushed really heavily that they had to pay now, pay now, pay now. And it was a source deal for like rent to rent on a block of flats. Pay now, pay now, pay now, pay now. And she was trying to say, actually, I need to do my due diligence and I will be able to pay the invoice at the end of the month once I've done all of my research and I'm happy. And it was, no, it's got to be today. Otherwise, I'm giving it to someone else. And that fear of losing the deal and not knowing that there'll be other deals, that scarcity brain, something kicked in and she just paid like a 10 grand fee and... Actually, it was a, it was a fake. Oh my word! It was it was, it, it was ten grand, and the guy was sourcing buildings that he didn't own. He didn't. He had nothing to do with. It. He just disappeared with the money. And this particular person in our industry did this with a hundred people. <gasps> so there's now there's now a class action yep. happening of those hundred people to take that, try and find that guy and get that money back. And that is because patience and scarcity kicked in. And instead of the common sense stuff, which actually when money, if you took money out of it, you would take your time and you would research and you'd look them up and you'd go and visit the properties and you would get a surveyor out and you would look at the legals and you'd get advice from your accountant and you'd structure it right. And you'd take your time, patience, patience, patience. If you are being rushed into anything in our space, I can assure you there is still, I've not found anything yet that is urgent. Everything... (laughs) Like urgent is you're you're bleeding to death on the floor. That's urgent. It's being able to go away and spend a few days doing due diligence on a deal. If you're going to lose it because you're spending a few days doing due diligence, then it's not a deal to do because there'll be other deals that don't require that level of like crisis urgency. And it could just save you losing money. And I think that's terrible. Yeah, particularly when you're starting out, that's a really, you know, patience. Uh, It's a bit like, do you remember Mr. Brown when he was chancellor, he used to have his friend called Prudence. Um, (laughs) And it's the same thing, isn't it, around money, which is, you know, don't let greed get in the way, basically. Yes. Um, And, you know, if you you have, um, you know, you've got huge amounts of money that you don't mind losing here and there, you can take a punt. But actually, yeah. give if it to me because I'll put it to work. If you've got loads of money, you're abs- happy to lose. Absolutely. <laughs> but if you if you are starting out, the, that is where the danger is, isn't it? Yeah, um, exactly. And you've just got to step back and go, why Why is there such a push? Or even have the confidence to go, I love the deal, but this time I can't do it. Come back to me. Yeah. And in the meantime, you go and have a good look to see who they are and what they're doing and, and what absolutely. people are saying. And it's relatively... Yeah. It's relatively simple now to start asking questions, isn't it? Well, Google is your friend, okay? And I I say this a lot. So I obviously have an education company. I launched an education company in 2017 off the back of everything else I was doing. And I say to everybody before they start working with me as a mentor is put my name into Google and put the word scam next to it. And anyone else you're thinking of working with, put their name into Google and put the word scam next to it. Read what you read and then make your choice. And I think whether you are doing deal and numbers due diligence or you're doing mentor due diligence or you're doing business partner due diligence or accountant due diligence or whatever it is, 
put their name into Google and read what you read and make common sense based decisions instead of hustle based decisions where emotion you're being driven to make a, a decision from an emotional place, make it from a rational place. Yes. And I think uh, there's nothing wrong with joining people's groups and watching, going into their webinars time and time again, just to see if you like mm. them. So I yep. worked with people who I've stalked, as I call it, for several <laughs> years. You know, yeah. Anna Park enables her team do my website, my podcast. And I followed her for two years before I finally went, mm-hmm. yeah, that's the one person I want that's to the work one. with. Yeah. And yet other people wake up in the morning and go, right, today I'm going to do X. Now, who can I get to do that? Well, you're asking for trouble, aren't you? Because yeah, you, you can't guarantee anything in life, but at least you've tried to get rid of some of the problems. Mm-hmm, and that's absolutely. so, so important in property. And when, before we came on, we were very much talking about why we want to make more women realize that you can be so financially secure with property. But it's, yep. the first thing they've got to do is get their heads around, which we both had to do, which is numbers aren't scary. We're all told quite often mm-hmm. that when we're young that maths probably wasn't our thing. But actually, it's not about maths. It's- maths isn't still not my thing. I hate <laughs> maths. But that's why I've got a calculator and why I've yes. got an analysis spreadsheet that does all of the work for me so that I don't have to emotionally think about numbers. I just plot in the facts and the facts tell me everything I need to know. I hate maths. Absolutely. And that that is what, uh, you know, my, my sister-in-law hates maths and always says, oh, I couldn't do what you do because I can't do maths. And I go, well, nothing to do with maths. So I, I'm very keen to really push that. It's yes, you have a spreadsheet. Yes, you do have numbers, but they're not the be all and end all. Because I think women have got soft skills that make all the difference. You know, it's we said earlier, it's people. So vendors, you presumably speak a lot to vendors, don't you? I do, yeah. And that's where often women win, isn't it? So I, um, we were talking about this before we we began the recording. I actually think being a woman in this industry has served me really well. Yes. And I, I don't know, I'm, fr- I'm the only girl in a family full of men. So I've got brothers, I've got cousins, they're all boys. My second cousins are all boys. I, I am a the only girl. And so no, I don't know success. if... I am, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if maybe that's toughened me up as a kid that actually I can walk into a room full of men and I'm not intimidated. And maybe there's that. However, we have in our in our industry, but also in our society, this huge financial gender gap that it that doesn't actually need to exist and only exists because women are not being brave. Now, women are tough. All women are tough, right? Mm. We are. We, we're we're growing humans inside of us. A lot of us, we're keeping those humans alive a lot of the time. You know, we put up with men. Let's just, and I'm not (laughs) men hating here, right? I love men. I love you all. And my husband's sat next to me. So I love you too. Um, the feet that the financial gender gap actually exists in some ways because of society and the way that it, it is built and that and the way education systems built and so on but it also exists because women aren't being brave enough to just yes. say out loud the things they're thinking and i can assure you that anybody who has ever had any piece of success is never going to tear you down for asking a question the people that are behind you might because like crabs people want to kind of keep you stationary mm. and keep you where you are but any woman, any man even, but anyone who asks a question of somebody who's, who's even five minutes ahead of where they are, that person is going to encourage you and get excited for you wanting to be brave and step outside of what's comfortable. So I guess my word of advice on this is 
inherently people want to help people are good people yes like 99 of people are great people and so by putting yourself out there asking the hard question or even just asking the question that's the one that you think stupid i can assure you we all asked it at some yeah. point i was going to say like, most of us are looking and going oh my god they've asked the question and i don't uh, have to yeah exactly that like I didn't, I bought my first flat. I was at the solicitor's office signing the paperwork. And he said to me, you know, this is a leasehold, right? I was like, what's a leasehold? And it was too far through the process at that point for me to not sign because I was there and we put like all the money was in, like it was done. I was like, I don't know what that means. And he said, oh, you'll never, you'll never own it. And I was like, oh, okay. And now I'd be like, well, hold on. I'd have asked loads more questions. And actually it's yeah. turned out fine because we've made loads of money on that particular deal. But it's, I, I don't know why I didn't, well, I just went, okay, no problem. Like, <laughs> Actually, um, it's important to ask the questions. It's important, whatever you're thinking, it's important that you say it out loud, but find a safe space to do it in. If you're nervous about where and who you're asking, feel free to contact me. I'll be more than happy to talk to you, speak to Rachel, like find Facebook groups, find community, join like mentorships and things like that. Because when you've got a safe space of people who are slightly ahead of you, they will never, ever tear you down for asking a question ever. Absolutely. And that is a very interesting point is that I know both, you know, both of us work with mentors. We work with people who are yeah. doing more than us and bigger and everything else. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, is when you first come into property, you think, oh, I don't need that. Now, you may not need it to the extent that we did, but it, you've got to find someone who can just go, well, have you thought of this? Have you done that? Um, what yeah. about whatever someone you can have a talk to and groups and communities until you know what you want to do and where mm-hmm. you want to spend your money is absolutely crucial isn't it a hundred percent and we were very lucky the bucks was very much a community but it's you know you don't always find a networking meeting like that mm-hmm. but it's they are available online and you can find them yeah my first business that I started in 2000 12 was bust within two and a half years and I say bust it didn't actually go bust I managed to kind of turn it around and I sold it to get my money back in the end but that was from what I learned from my mentor in property actually yes my first business there were key things that went wrong I didn't know how to run a business understanding property is one thing understanding business is a totally different thing totally different I yeah I bang on about that all the time and you you know you can understand the theory of rent to rent the theory of a flip the theory of a development if you've got no idea how to run your money or to set aside money for your corporation tax and also your VAT and things like that or you've got no idea how to recruit actually you're going to end up being broke because you're running a better, terrible business. And that's what I did. My first business went bust within a few years because I did not have anyone I could ask for help. And it wasn't help as in, oh, please help me. It was, I don't know what to do next. Like I've reached this point and I've, I don't know. I just don't know where to get the next piece of information. So in my property business, I got a mentor really quickly and he made the mistake of giving me his number. So I used to just WhatsApp him a question <laughs> and say, <laughs> I'd say, oh, the the landlord's asked me this question. What do I say? And he would say, oh, say this. And I would get on the phone and I'd say that exact thing. And I would, it progressed. And I and yes. I did it like that. And it's exactly how I am with my mentors. And you know, yeah. I'm sure you're the same. Having somebody that you can ask for support or just asked to rubber stamp what you already know you already probably know is the answer to just give you that green light yeah yeah, that's a deal I'd do yeah those numbers are right or no you've missed out that you've missed this you haven't factored in the sourcing fee or you've not factored in the 
um, cost of your solicitors or cost of an arbicultural survey or whatever the thing is. All you know, the things that nobody thinks things. about. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there are just That's so many need a mentor. They are. Yeah. And also they do they do make you look wider than than you generally mm. tend to think and because I think yeah. we keep talking about coming into the property world well actually it's just a property business world but they uh-huh. we so often forget the word business yeah and that does make the difference well thank you so much for your time today Sarah I know because you've had, got a frankly my- busy day in fact so busy we had to squeeze you in in early doors before your day started really um it's my but, pleasure but it's been great and I really do think that there is so much that m- women can do out there in the property space we can all grow and what would be the one thing you're going to say to people who are just starting to get it busy in business in in property what's the one thing they need to do I think have faith in yourself is actually the piece of advice I'd give because especially women we allow ourselves to be and you know I still do this now and I have to like give my head a wobble sometimes we for whatever reason talk ourselves out of being brilliant And I think it's important to understand that you are enough, you are capable, you are way more capable than you have any idea that you are. Surround yourself with the right people that want to talk you up and help you become brilliant. And actually anything you want is possible. And again, it sounds a little bit woo, doesn't it? And like you can live your dreams, but honestly, six years ago, someone had said to me, you would be financially stable, financially free. Like I have enough money to live on. I don't have to work. I choose to, to create a lifestyle and future wealth for me and my children and things like that, my family. If someone had said that to me six years ago, that that was even possible for me as a person, I'd have been like, no way. There's no way because I don't know what I'm doing. I've never, I don't have any money. Like I don't know how to do things. I'm about to sign contracts this month on a new build development of 17 apartments. And that's taken less than six years to get to that point because I just started to believe that what I wanted mattered and that I approached it in a way that served to my values and served to um, who I wanted to become, the businesswoman I wanted to be and the impact I wanted to make on the world. And because I did it that way, I do truly believe that anything I want to do is possible now. I didn't. Six years ago, I'd have laughed and said, there's no way any of those things are even possible. And now I get to impact other people's lives and help them to realize that. And the biggest thing I hear women saying, and men, but mostly women, is that I'm just a mum. I'm just a wife. I'm just an administrator. I'm just an assistant. And I'm like, you've got no idea the fire that's in you. If you could just understand that you are incredible you will make massive waves. And whatever that is for you in your world, you might not want to build apartments. You might want to become financially independent, maybe or clear some debt or Mm. build a house, whatever. But whatever you want to do is possible, but you have to take control of it. You won't get anybody handing it to you on a plate. It can't happen in four minutes a week, working in, in, in three weeks. It's not realistic. You have to put the graft in, put the work in, build the foundations. But if you do that, you are capable of anything you want. Wow, thank you very much, Sarah. That is brilliant. My pleasure. What, what what a great way to finish this. Thank you so much. My absolute pleasure. And Rachel, honestly, thank you to everything you've done for me in the past. It's been a, um, whether you realise it or not, you've been a massive influence on me. So thank you. Oh, it's a pleasure. An absolute pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Property Solopreneur podcast with Rachel Troughton. 
If you want to create a professional and profitable property business, download my property business checklist now at racheltroughton.com slash checklist.